Lord God, we believe that you reign in this city. Lord, we believe that you conquer death, hell, and the grave, God. Tonight, let faith arise in this house. Let us put into action those things that we say we believe. Let it not just be a song, but let it be a spirit that reigns within us. Let it not just be words on a page that we sing, but let it be a lifestyle that we believe and we live and we walk by faith and by faith alone. God, we thank you, Jesus. I have said many times before that when I, when I preach, and it, it, it tends to work out that my wife often leads music when I preach, I never ever ask her to change the song to fit what I feel that God is, is going to do because I trust that the musicians and the singers, they, they listen to God too and they hear what God is telling them. And I love when it matches up exactly with what God is wanting to speak to his people. I, I want to go ahead at this time and dismiss those that need to be dismissed. And I'm not going to open with a lot of, uh, of pleasantry, so to speak. I want to get right into the word because I feel like God has a message for his people tonight. So what's going to happen is they're passing out uh, papers. I'm trying to do one per couple that has all the verses I'm going to mention tonight. Because when we start, I can't promise the floodgates won't open and we're just going to go through this. So I'm giving you the verses ahead of time. But... Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read verse 35 through 37 to open. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 through 37 to open. It says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now. Let your word reign supreme, Lord. Let it change us. Let us never try to change it. Lord, speak to us and let us understand what you mean by the just shall live by faith. Lord, let us become more like you and less like this wicked world. Lord, we trust in you and in your word and we give you all glory. Have your way, O oh God. Let me step aside in the flesh and let the spirit take control. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. My intentions for tonight's message were very different than what I'm about to preach. Last night we talked about, or last Wednesday rather, we talked about the necessity of being called to connect with God. We explained how that you can have the word of God, but if you don't have the spirit of God, you will never live out the word of God. We, we discussed how that you not only need to connect with God, but that you need to stay connected with God. Tonight, we are going to be talking about call to grow in faith. And my intention was to preach a message about how to strengthen your faith, about, about how to grow your faith, to expand your faith. But as I sat and tried to put my notes together, I hit brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. I had verses, but I couldn't link them together. I had many different thoughts, but none of them went cohesively together. It was so bad that last night I began to physically feel ill. I was nervous at the fact that I didn't know what it was that God wanted me to discuss. 
I even told Pastor Powell and Pastor Lucas, I said, be on standby because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen at this point. About 2 o'clock in the morning last night, something that almost never happens happened. The ER was empty. For almost four hours, we had no patients. It was dead empty. So I said, okay, God, I have my, my computer with me. And I said, all right, I'm just going to open this up one more time. And I'm just going to look at it. And I'm just, just going to see if it, it just you know, starts to make sense. And I open up the, the, the computer and I began to read my opening verse. And all of a sudden, like a flood, I felt the Spirit of God move on me. And words began to come into my mind almost faster than I could type. And what was resulted on the page is very different than what my original intention was. But nevertheless, I feel that it is what God is wanting to speak to his church. So let's talk about this thing called faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, we read that, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. You must understand who the author was writing to, to understand the significance of these verses. Here, if we were to back up just a few verses, we would find that the author of Hebrews is writing to a church that has been battered and afflicted. Many were no doubt contemplating quitting the fight altogether. But the writer encourages them in verse 35 and 36 by reminding them that they started this race because there is a great reward that is awaiting them. Now we must understand what this great reward, this promise is. It was not a promise of material wealth or fame. There were no promises of houses or, or cars or titles. No, the promise that they were looking for is the same promise that you and I must hold on to to this very day. That is eternal life with the King of Kings. He said, church, I know you're hurting. I, I know you feel like the hits just keep coming. But listen, yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Church, you must hold fast. Now is not the time to quit, because there is coming a day when the King of glory is going to part the sky, and there is nothing that will hold him back. No politician, no military, no disease. Hold on, church, because my King is coming back for his bride, and no devil in hell is going to stop him. Yet a little while, and he that is going to come will come, and he will not tarry. Amen, amen. But listen, the verse doesn't stop there. You have to read on. We pick up in verse 38. It says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now the author here employs a very familiar tactic, a tactic that you will see through many of the epistles written in the New Testament. And that is simply this, that he, the, the author will begin by giving a word of encouragement to strengthen the resolve of the people. But then he will follow that up with a word of instruction. 
God is telling his people, I see where you are and I will fulfill my promises, but it is up to you to not turn back. You must live by faith. Now listen, I got to pause right here because when you read the word of God, you should not read it like a piece of literature you read when you were in school. I am afraid too many people take the wrong approach when trying to understand God's word. People will just say, read the Bible. You can't question it. It's God's word and, and you don't want to question God. Church, God is not threatened by your questions. This book is full of people who had questions, who didn't always understand, who didn't always see the why or the how or the when. This book is full of questions. When you read a story within God's, within God's books, you need to have questions. You need to say, God, what are you trying to convey in the story to me? What principle do I need to apply to my life? Were the actions of the characters in the story you're reading right or wrong? Why were they right? Why were they wrong? The Bible is not meant for leisure reading to pass the time. It's meant for transformation to change your life unto the saving of your soul. Now let's bring this back to the lesson at hand. Because verse 38 of our text tells us that the just shall live by faith. Which then implies this. If you aren't living by faith, you aren't just. See, sometimes we just read the words on the page and we don't always try to understand what it is that is conveying to you. If I said every man that is five foot tall has black hair, if you don't have black hair, you're not five foot tall. They go hand in hand. In this, in this passage, it says the just will live by faith. Therefore, if you are just, you live by faith. Therefore, if you are not living by faith, you are not just. It's kind of heavy. It raises questions. What does that mean? The just shall live by faith. This should raise a very important question in the reader's mind. And that is simply this. What is faith? If the just live by faith... And I want to be just, I have to know what faith actually is. Is faith just a strong belief, as many denominational preachers tell you? You will hear things said like, you are saved by grace through faith. That's scriptural. But then they interpret it to mean that just believe on the Lord Jesus and your ticket to heaven is sealed for eternity. Doesn't matter what you do after that. That's faith. Just believe on God and that's it. So is faith simply just believing in God? Well, the writer of, of James had something to say about that. Turn to James chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. Listen to what it says. James says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone. Last time I checked, my God is alive. My God is a God of living things and not dead things so I don't can't possibly believe that my God accepts dead faith 
Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And then he hits him with a, a really hard line, if you understand what he's saying. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. He's saying your faith is simply a belief. But guess what? The devils in hell believe in Jesus. Doesn't change them from being devils. Remember, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is the man who didn't believe his own family until he saw Jesus resurrected. This is the man who watched his brother talk the talk and walk the walk all the way to Calvary. So I can't help but imagine James getting a little fired up when confronting this false philosophy of lame duck, patty cake for Jesus, believe your way to heaven. No, I can imagine this James saying, asking some very pointed questions. Has your faith led you to be willing to die for the cause? Because that's the faith, the kind of faith my Jesus had. The kind of faith that led Stephen to declare the deity of Christ even though he knew it would get him stoned to death. The kind of faith that Peter had when he said, if you're going to crucify me, you better do it upside down. Because I'm not even worthy to die the same death as my king. No, you see, true faith will always, always produce an action. James is saying that faith and action are so intertwined that you cannot say you have one without the other also being present. Faith is a big word. Faith does also encompass a belief, but a belief that then produces action. And James is saying you cannot say you understand faith or that you live by faith if all you do is believe but never change your life. If you never produce an action, you do not have faith. You have dead shell of faith. Your faith and action must be so intertwined that one cannot be separated from the others. Now listen, I, I say it like this because there will be some who say, wait a minute, are you saying that we're saved by our works? No, this is what I'm saying. The Bible says that we are saved unto works. That means your salvation must produce works or your salvation is not alive any longer. You are saved unto good works. It is God's grace that gives you salvation. It is his grace that provided the cost, the price for the penalty of our sin. But your faith is not alive in that salvation if it is not producing an action. I know this is heavy. I know this is kind of pointed. And trust me, if it feels like I have a, pointed, a finger pointed at you, I've got three pointed back at me. Because this hit me really hard last night. It made it very hard for me not to want to start speaking in tongues, sitting right there in the middle of the emergency room. Because I felt God pulling on my heartstrings. So I don't want you to think I am condemning you or I am trying to do anything to you. I am simply trying to reveal to you what God has for his church. This world will continue to wax worse and worse. Now is not the time for some weak need faith, but we must have faith that produces action. But again, what is faith? We understand that faith produces an action. We understand faith without action is dead. But again, what is the heart of faith? 
Hebrews chapter 11. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. A very familiar passage, one I no doubt many of you can quote the first couple verses of this. But let's look into it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, what is the it here? Faith. For by faith the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now listen to the power of that message. What he's saying is that faith will help you to understand that God did not reach into a toolbox of already made things and assemble them together to make this world. No, God looked into the emptiness of nothing and created something. Only God can create something from nothing. Man is very intelligent. Man is very creative. But man cannot create something from nothing. He has to have something to begin with to produce something else. Only God can look at nothing and but speak the word. And it is so. You have to understand that for what, what we're about to talk about here in a minute. The first thing we must know about faith is this. Your faith will only be as effective as the power and authority of the person or thing you put your faith in. You see, you can put your faith in Buddha, but Buddha isn't the creator of the universe. You can put your faith in Muhammad, but Muhammad did not conquer death, hell, and the grave. You can have true faith in the wrong thing, and it will lead to disappointment. Let me give you an example. We live in a country, probably safe to say almost a world, but let's just keep it local. We live in a country where many have their faith in money. And that faith produces actions. We have a country full of workaholics who forsake their families for the almighty dollar. But I find it interesting that the suicide rates among the extremely wealthy are significantly higher than those in poverty. Because you see, faith in a powerless God, little g, will produce nothing but despair and desperation. You can have faith in the wrong thing, and you will be disappointed and let down. Your faith is only as good as the power and authority of the one you put that faith in. Picking back up in Hebrews 11, in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. How did he please God? By his faith. Now listen, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please him. Faith is not optional. Faith is not something that the super spiritual need to see all their miracles take place. Faith is an essential requirement to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them 
that diligently seek him. Your faith must go well beyond just believing that God can provide a miracle. Your faith must go to the very heart of who God is. This is why the, the author here says, you must first believe that he is. You must first accept that he is the I am. You must first accept that he is the creator of the universe, that he is God. And no matter what he does or does not do in your life, he is still God. After you understand this, then you can understand that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you don't know who God is, how can you truly have faith that he is going to reward you for seeking him? Your faith must help you to understand who God actually is. This is why the writer in the beginning of this passage said that by faith they understood that it was God who created everything from nothing. Verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Interesting. You become an heir of righteousness by faith. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed and then he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. You will never inherit the promise of God if you first don't walk in faith. The promise comes by faith. You see, when God told Noah to build the boat, there had never been rain before. Noah's faith led him to do something for which there was no precedent. I mean, listen, if Noah lived in a flood valley where it rained and flooded every couple of years and God came to him and said, Noah, build a boat, there's going to be a flood. Wouldn't take much faith. Noah said, yeah, God, or would have been able to say, yeah, God, I know. It's about that time. It floods every couple of years. Wouldn't have required that much faith, right? But that's not what happened. God told him to do something to save his life from something he had never even seen before. When Abram answered the call to sojourn in a foreign land, there was no UPCI to send him monthly support for being a missionary. At that time, Abram had no one to call to say, hey, pray with me on this matter so I can make sure that this is the voice of God that I'm hearing. He simply heard the call and answered. And his answer, his belief produced action that was his faith. So let me give you, I, I often say I'm not a man of one-liners. I, I don't usually have many one-liners, but I got one for you tonight. Listen close, because it sounds like a mouthful, but I promise it makes sense. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Faith is looking at something that you cannot see, something that has not come to reality in the flesh. Looking at it and acting as though it already is so so that it might become so, simply because God said it is so. 
Faith is like opening a door that God says, I've already done it in heaven. I've already given you the salvation. It is so. You just don't see it yet. So God is saying, act like it is so because I've already said it is so. And in that faith, you bring into life the very thing that God said is so. You didn't create it. Your power didn't provide it. You simply say, God, I believe it is so, and I will act as though it is so, because you said it is so. Let me make it just a little more plain for you. God sits outside of time. You see, God had already saved Noah from the flood. Noah just didn't know it yet. It was God's blueprint that was used to build the boat. It was God that told Noah when to step into the boat. It was God who closed the door to the boat. Noah simply had to act as if he was already saved. Even though it hadn't occurred in man's time, by his obedience it provided a doorway for the miracle. What good would it have been for Noah to say, listen, imagine it like this. Here is time. It runs in a linear fashion for man. We only can see it in one direction. So here is Noah over here. God is speaking to him from above time, already seeing everything that plays out. He says, Noah, it's going to flood. Noah, I'm going to bring judgment on the world. But Noah, I have a plan. I've already pro provided a way of escape for you. And he tells Noah the plan. Now Noah doesn't see it yet. Noah hasn't experienced it yet, but God has. God has already seen it all take place. So he tells back, Noah, listen, I've seen it. I've seen it come to pass. Here's what you got to do. What good would it have been for Noah to say, God, I believe you. You're the God of heaven and earth. I believe that it's going to flood. I believe that you're going to do all those things. But then turn around and just keep doing life as normal. You see, God had already made it so but if Noah had refused to allow God's promise to be made manifest in his life, he would have been lost to the same dying world as everyone else. I think we understand what I'm saying, but how many times in our own lives have we stood at this altar and claimed to believe the promise of God given to us? How many times in our own life, how many times in my own life, I'll, I'll just point it toward me. Because I have no room to judge anyone sitting in here. How many times in my own life has God given me a promise? Told me something was going to happen. I stood at the altar and raised my hand and said, God, I believe you. I believe that you will do it. But then I walk out the doors and I live life like normal. My faith was dead because it produced no action. I didn't live as though God was going to do what he promised he would do. Oh God, forgive me for saying that I believe you, but not doing anything about it. You see, I have to start acting like it is so, even though it is not so, so that it may become so, because my king said it is so. Now stick with me because I'm about to change gears a little bit. You see, it's easy to shout about faith 
when we are talking about blessings and miracles, it's easy for us to, to get riled up when a man of God stands before you and says, hey, God's already provided your blessing. He's already provided your miracle. He's provided your deliverance. It's easy for us to get behind that because it's a need we see that we want immediate change for. It's easy to produce a response to that. But you see, the airwaves are filled with charlatans who will speak a word of faith for three low payments of $99.99. I fear that too many churches have relegated faith to something you need simply to get the blessing that you are looking for. But church, I must remind you that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is something much more than just accepting a blessing. Faith is much more than just seeing your miracle realized in your life. You see, without faith, you cannot please God. Let me take it even a step farther. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Listen to what it says here. We're talking about Jesus. He says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but after he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Paul's right there. Jesus is saying, if this judge who doesn't fear God will act on the request of a woman simply because of her persistence, how much more will God answer the continued cry of his people? God answers prayers. But listen to what he says in the very next verse. God is trying to create a principle here. He's saying, listen, God is faithful. He hears your prayers. He will answer the prayers of his people. But there's something even heavier to be looked at here. In verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He's saying Jesus will answer your prayer. God will answer your prayer because he will listen to the cries of his people. But let me ask you back a question. When God returns, will he find faith? Faith on the earth. Jesus is saying, I am a God of my word. Yeah, I changed the saying because God's not a man of his word. God is a God of his word. Because unlike man, he doesn't lie. And he doesn't change. He has said from old that vengeance is his. You don't need to worry about that. But here's what you do need to be concerned about. When he returns, will he find faith? On the earth. Again, not that happy clappy, let's meet once a week to sing kumbaya faith. No, will he find a people that has acted on their belief that God is holy? If so, then it means that he will return to a people who are holy. Because 
His word says that God is holy. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. If you have faith in God, it will produce an action to make you become more like him. Now listen, it doesn't mean that you are God or that you are perfect. God does not expect perfection, but he does expect progress. Your faith must produce action. This is why you cannot compare, judge your life by anyone else's. Because God does not look at you and say, oh, you're not quite as holy as her. You're not quite as holy as him. The only measure stick here is God. God looks at your life and your walk and says, this is how long you have said you have faith. But what has your faith actually produced? What change has your faith made within your life? Forget about other people. Forget about what they're doing right or wrong. Forget about how holy or unholy they are. God will judge you by you, by your actions and how they line up in comparison to God. Remember, faith in the wrong thing will produce despair. But when your faith is in alignment with God, it will produce change. It will produce action. True faith in God means that you not only believe that God is who he says he is, but that faith must translate into you becoming obedient to his word. Let's get a little deeper. Remember, faith is acting as though it is so, even though it is not so, so that it may become so, because God said so. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, pause right there, stop. How many times have we, and this isn't wrong, but I, I want us to understand that there's surface level things and then we can get deeper sometimes in what God is trying to show us. How many times have we read this story and said that their faith produced a miracle for the man who was sick? Right? That's true. There's nothing wrong with saying that. That's true. Your faith, when it is in action, produces miracles for yourself and puts others in alignment into a position where they can also receive a miracle. But God's first I don't want to say obligation, but his first priority, that's the better word. First priority was not telling the man to get up off the bed. God's first priority was not saying, look, you be healed in the flesh. Listen to what it says. Start back in verse 2. And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven them forgiven thee and behold certain of the scribes said within themselves this man blasphemeth and Jesus knowing their thoughts said wherefore think ye evil in your hearts for whether is it easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins then saith he to the sick of the palsy arise take up thy bed and go into thine house and he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Faith is so much more important 
than just receiving a healing in your body. And please understand, I am not saying that God does not heal the sick. I am not saying that God does not open the blinded eyes because I've seen it myself. I have been physically, emotionally healed. I have seen others healed. God is still in the miracle working business. God is still in the business of bringing miracles to others. But notice the first thing that Jesus says in response to their faith. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Church, without faith you cannot receive the fruit of the work done on Calvary and Pentecost. By grace you are saved, yes. That's God's part. He paid the price. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. But it's by grace are you saved through faith. That's your response to Calvary. Your response to Calvary will determine your fate when Jesus comes back. Let me prove it to you. When you stand before Jesus, you get to hear one of two replies. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. What is the other one? Well done, thou good and faithful. Full of faith. Having faith. And faith is action. Faith is changing your life. Faith is living in alignment with the word of God. To hear well done, you must be faithful. Church, I believe that God is still going to do many miracles in this church. I see many things happening in the, in the, in the physical, miraculous things happening. But I want to read to you one final story to tell you where I believe God is bringing this church. Go with me to Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. This is my final set of passage here. And then I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Powell. And he's going to end it however he sees fit. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Get Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now the Greek word that's used here for they were cleansed, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but let me tell you what it means. It means to literally be cleansed on the outside from debris or dirt or to be cleansed on the outside from sickness. They were cleansed from their physical ailment. Now we are led to believe that these lepers had already heard about Jesus because they called him by name. They called him master. They already had an expectation that Jesus was going to be able to do what they were requesting of him. They stood there waiting for Jesus and when they saw him, their faith led them to ask for a miracle. Jesus in his mercy did what they asked. But Don't mistake a simple miracle for God's approval of your lifestyle. Let me show you. Verse 15, and one, how many did we start with? Ten. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Why did God even bother to throw that in there? Because he was a Samaritan. He wasn't of the chosen lineage. He wasn't of God's elect people. 
but he didn't care. He knew he had an encounter with the divine. And he was willing to say, I don't care if the world looks at me as a dog, if the Jews count me as less worthy than them, I have had an encounter with God. And as such, it's going to produce an action in me. And Jesus answering said, Where are there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. Now here's what's interesting. The word that's used here for this phrase, made thee whole, is not the same word that's used for they were cleansed. The word that's used here for made thee whole literally means to deliver out of danger and into safety. It is used principally of God rescuing believers from the penalty and power of sin. Church, as we begin to operate in this shift, not a season, we must push past the simple expectation of God healing someone on Sunday. Notice I said to push past, meaning that God will still do miracles, that God hears his people. He wants to help his people. But we must push past the surface expectation of God providing a, a physical blessing, a physical miracle. Because what God wants for his church goes much deeper and more powerful than that. He wants his church to be made whole, to be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. We know that from this story, the man who was sick of the palsy was healed. He got up and he walked away. God raised the dead. God opened the blinded eyes. But that cannot be the benchmark for a thriving church. We must start operating in life-changing faith. Faith that pushes us to become more like Christ and less like the world. Oh, I'm going to say something here may not be the most popular, but I would much rather see a church full of physically broken people who are connected to God, growing in faith, serving others, and leading by example. I would rather see a church full of uh, 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 physical miracles that haven't resulted in any real change. Or I would, rather, I would rather see that than seeing a church full of physical miracles that have not produced any change. Jesus talks about this plenty of times. You can make it to heaven in a wheelchair. You can make it into heaven missing a limb. You can make it into heaven sick. But you can't make it into heaven without faith. You can't make it into heaven without a lifestyle that is modeled after Christ. Believe God for the miracle. Believe God for the healing. But let your faith bring a change in your life. I believe we have heard a, a word from God that challenges our spirit, challenges our flesh. And I wonder if we could just take time to pray in that word and, and ask God to let it marinate and resonate within us. Is that all right? Can we just begin to ask God to let that sink into our spirits? You want to stand, kneel, set, but let's just take some time. We got about 10 minutes before we're supposed to be over. I wonder if we could just say, God, I want to be a man or woman of faith. I want to be counted as faithful, Lord. 
God, I want to grow in my faith. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Lord. Equip us, empower us, Lord. Use us for your glory, God. Oh, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Take us deeper, Lord. Jesus, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, help us to live faithful. Oh, God. Faithful to the calling. Faithful to your purpose. Faithful to your word, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Faithful in all things, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Almighty God. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord God, challenge us to go deeper, to go higher, to see what you want us to see, to feel what you want us to feel, to hear what you want us to hear, to speak as you want us to speak, God. Hallelujah. Help us to mature and grow, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. To see ourselves as you see us. Oh, God. Oh, God. Your word tells us to add to our faith virtue and so on and so forth. So, God, help us, I pray, to continually supplement our faith. That it might grow into that abundant fruit that you desire, evident and active, God, in our lives daily, Lord to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow you, Lord, no matter the cost. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pastor Jeremy did a good job expressing, I believe, the heart of God tonight. I'm not going to re-preach anything, or, but if I could just, if you will, like Kennedy has said before, tie a little bow on it here. You've heard me say often that if you struggle with faith, that obedience, God can turn that into faith. We've used Peter when he cast the net toil all night, didn't really believe it was going to happen. We use, we've used Martha and Mary, rolled the stone away regardless. But you know, there's a lot of other examples. There's the man at the pool of Bethesda who was there for 38 years. And Jesus said, you want to be healed? Well, I don't have anybody to help me in. That's not what I asked. Do you want to be healed? Yeah, I want to be made whole. Okay, take up your bed and walk. There, there had to be an act of him 
moving his legs, something he had not done for 38 years. And, and there's many other examples where an individual, you know, take up your bed and walk or get up or whatever that was, um, where that person, you know, he put the, the mud in one man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool. Every one of those acts were acts of obedience. And, and I think if I could just tie this up tonight is if you struggle with faith, you're like, well, man, I'm not a Martha. I'm not a Mary. I'm not a Peter. I'm not a whatever. You don't have to be. Good. God called you to be you. Just obey. And if you'll obey, God will take your obedience, translate that into faith, and do a miracle in your life. And maybe that miracle is you just growing and developing in Him. Maybe that miracle is you just getting fresh revelation of the Word of God. Amen? I've had my share of titles in 49 years of life. But you know the best one I'm looking forward to hearing? is well done. Good and faithful servant. Amen. I want to hear that statement. Amen. I can't wait to hear it. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close. It's a couple minutes early. I know practice at 8. Um, the kids might still be going, but amen. Lord bless you. Take this with you. Take it home, and let's activate our faith in God.